And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it's hard work being this good. I was like, ow. (laughs) (laughs) He sounded like a a big choo-choo train. All right, Troy, today on the show, we have a gentleman that impressed me on his passion to share and grow the game with others. He's the head women's basketball coach at the University of Washington. Last year, they made it to the NCAA tournament for the first time in eight years, won 23 games, and was ranked in the top 25. Everyone, please welcome Coach Mike Neighbors to the Jim Huber Show. Thanks for having me, guys. Coach has a newsletter that goes out to like 69,000 subscribers. You've done a lot for other coaches. I mean, the amount of information and thing is amazing. But the one thing that really caught me, and being a country boy, caught me was Papa Neighbors. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about, it was your grandfather, right? Papa yeah, Neighbors. It was, yeah, it was my dad's dad on uh, Papa Neighbors and my Gigi Neighbors. Uh, uh, Papa dropped out of school in eighth grade, and I'm not sure if my granny ever uh, graduated from anything either. She never sat behind the wheel of a car. He didn't graduate from high school, but he went into the military and he was under patent in the army. And so he, he got a lot of life experiences and he taught us through lessons. And I've I've written them down over the years. And I've, I've actually, I do a coaching clinic. I do about a 45 minute segment on nothing but his quotes and how I've used them in my coaching career. So I want to get into a few quotes here and okay. I want you to explain this. Okay, good. good. Right, so number one, sugar coating is for candy and pacifying is for newborns. Yeah, he was straight, blunt, straight to the point. Uh, he never wanted anything sugar-coated. Um, you know, I, I used that last night in a home visit here. I had a, a dad look across at me and tell me, he says, we've had about 20 of these, and you're the only one that comes in and tells it like it is. So I learned that from him. Uh, that's from his military background. And if any time we ever started to sugarcoat anything, we got that th- we got that one thrown at us. If that don't get your fire going, then your wood's wet. <laughs> yeah, that was usually a pregame um, before we'd start one of my games. I'm not sure he ever missed one of my basketball, baseball games growing up. And anytime we had a big one, he'd he'd find a way to work that one in. How about yeah? Got to be odd to be number one. Well, num- one's an odd number. You know, it's easy. <laughs> That's right. He doesn't understand that. I did not explain about that, that to him, Coach. One, one, one's an odd number, and he always said that to us. He said, be a little different, be a little quirky. And, you know, Steve Jobs made it famous, you know, being one of the odd ones, being one of the strange ones. And uh, my papa said that a long time before we knew who knew about computers and stuff. So You were 1-24 in oh, your yeah. first, first season as a head coach. <laughs> Most people would quit or resign after <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Tell me, how did yeah. you stay with it and turn around and go to the state finals within three years? The game that we did win, we hit a shot at the end of the third quarter to win it because nobody scored in the fourth. <laughs> so, yeah, I look back on it. I almost wish we would have gone ahead and lost that game because 0-25 does sound a little bit better than 1-24. But that one win. Um, you know what Papa ma- Neighbors would say about that one win, right? Focusing too much on that one game or something? I don't know. What, what, what would he have said? That one was odd. <laughs> <laughs> it was odd, yeah. He was at that game, and I, I still remember he told me, he said, son, he said, if you want to be the winningest coach in history, you're going to have to outlive Methuselah at this rate. <laughs> so, he had a good way of always bringing me back down to earth. Dream like you will live forever. Live like you will die tomorrow. Yeah, and you know that one's really that one hit hit me right square in the face. I had a heart attack at 29, and that one was when I was reminded of that one. I was a high school coach and had been dreaming of being a college coach for a lot of years. Uh, I'd 
tried to do some various things to get in, but I never could break in. And, and finally, and when I had that, got hit with that heart attack out of the clear blue, had a little bit of a genetic defect. Um, it was in that in the operating room when I said, whatever it takes to be a college coach, I'm going to get that done the next couple of years. And, and then you're laying there, and a heart attack to me is like stress. It's, sometimes yep. it's stress. So you yep. decided to jump from high school to college, which <laughs> that might be more stress, right? No, it's way less. It uh, is? It's, yeah, it's way less. Way less stress and way less work. I tell people that. I, I am in such awe of these high school coaches and what they do around the country. It's about three full-time jobs. You're, you're a teacher, you're a counselor, you're a coach. And I was a part-time bus driver, and I coached every – my days were, were so much busier than, than they are now. Coach Mike Neighbors is our guest uh, from the University of Washington. And – Coach, one of the things that you've done is you've grown the game. You have a real passion for sharing information. How does a coach get a hold of you to get your newsletter? Because it's amazing. The stuff you send out is incredible. Well, I'll give you the email address first to get everybody on it. It's N-A-B as in boy, E as in elephant, S as in Sam, 22 at uw.edu. Just send me an email and we'll get you added up. Um, it, it takes about two or three days to get you added, and then we'll go. It comes out about once a week, sometimes every other week, depending on travel and time of the year. But like you said, the list has grown to almost 70,000 coaches in every state in 45 countries now. So each week people are sending me stuff. That newsletter is going to go on for a long time um, after I get out of coaching because I've got – over 20,000 files that people have shared, good stuff. You ever um, get somebody that uh, is getting your newsletter and you're like, holy cow, this guy wants this, he wants my oh yeah. stuff? Uh, the, one I, the one I talk about a lot is, is my buddy Buzz Williams uh, out at uh, Virginia Tech now. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we developed a friendship over the email. He got on it. He started to pub it at his clinics. He heard about, about it from Greg McDermott at Creighton. Great. Uh, and Greg put Buzz on it, and Buzz liked it. We correspond a little bit. Well, then I'm sitting at the office one day, and I get a text from Buzz that says, hey, can you change my email address from buzz at marquette.edu to Buzz Coach Buzz Williams at Gmail or something? And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll change that to you. The next day he's at Virginia, he announces he's leaving Marquette to go to Virginia Tech. Yeah, the inside scoop, Coach. <clears throat> well, so in my mind, yeah, I didn't even figure it out, though. That's how dumb I am. But <laughs> uh, the next day I'm sitting there thinking, wait a second. Buzz Williams was sitting in his office with a litany of list things to do, and somewhere on there it said, text neighbors and get my email address changed so I don't miss this newsletter. That was one. There's, you know, Dale Harris is on there, and uh, there's, there's coaches from – all levels. Uh, I don't know if y'all read a couple weeks ago, I was in Moscow and I was walking down Red Square, had my Washington shirt on. This guy comes running from behind me yelling, Washington, Washington, you know. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're thinking turned, you're getting uh, hauled into the Kremlin. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. So I turned around and he stopped me in some really broken English said, I get this letter, this email from this coach in Washington. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. And he goes, no, no, no. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't understand what I was saying. And I would say, no, I send you that email. He was like, no, this is a basketball coach. And he was imitating basketball. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> what are the I'm, odds? What I'm are the that odds? Guy. So incredible. finally, one of his friends who spoke English came up, and I was able to explain it to him and show it to him on my phone. He started kissing me on the cheek. He took his sweatshirt <laughs> off. He gave me a sweatshirt. And yeah, he said he'd been getting a newsletter for about five years, and he coached a youth league basketball team in, in Moscow. So, What an amazing story. What a small world that, that you would run yeah. into. What was his name? Vladimir Stasky. It's, it's really long, but I've, 
been able to correspond with him uh, a couple of times now, and, and he sent me a picture of the selfie that we took right there in uh, Red Square. And, <laughs> That's great. And when people saw us doing that, there were a lot of other tourists. They thought I must be somebody famous, so then they started taking pictures with me, too, and I had, they had <laughs> no clue who I was. came out, man. Yeah, oh, it, man. it was a crazy sight. Now, Coach, you become the assistant coach at the University of Arkansas, and I love your quote, be the head coach of whatever they ask you to do. Well, you know, when I went from being a head coach at high school, you do everything. And when I got to Arkansas, it was uh, I was doing some some things that uh, my friends gave me a really hard time about. You know, they were expecting to see me out there coaching the defense in, in year one, but really I was turning in the pass list and passing out the uniforms. And, and I tell the story a lot about my first job was really to get Coach Blair's Diet Coke. And that was the first responsibility I was ever given. Make sure Coach Blair has his Diet Coke at practice and at games. And so I said, okay, if that's, if that's on me, I'm going to be the head coach of that. So I found out if he wanted it in a can or a cup or if he wanted his ice cubed or crushed or Sonic style or uh, if we go on the road and it was a Pepsi gym, I'd go find him a Diet Coke and pour it in a Pepsi cup. So um, I became the head coach of that. But it sounds like you didn't complain as an assistant. You took whatever duty the coach gave yeah. you, did it your best yep. your ability, and then he developed a trust for you and sure. he gave you more responsibilities. No question. That's exactly how it worked, and I think that's what I demand out of my assistant coaches and anybody I talk to is, is do your job. And I, I hope it can inspire some of these young coaches out in our game because I was an assistant for 14 years, and I wasn't trying to be a head coach right off the bat. I was trying to learn to be a good assistant coach first and then go from there. And I think a lot of young coaches get in too big of a rush and try to do try to do stuff that they're not asked to do. Um, so I, I hope it proves to people that if you'll just do your job, eventually the right job will come along for you. And uh, I think if you look back, I, I know I couldn't have been a head coach 10 years ago uh, without the experiences and the failures as an assistant coach. Uh, I would have never had a chance to, to set and be a head coach. You talked about many years trying to be a head coach, and you persevered. I know I've heard that you were turned down many of times. How did you deal with that, and how did you keep moving, moving forward and, and to get the head job? <clears throat> I had a couple of jobs that I'd always had earmarked as wanting to be my dream jobs, Tulsa, University of Central Arkansas, places back closer to home. And then when I was at Xavier, uh, I had really grown accustomed and really fell in love with that place and that university and the players we had there. So those three jobs all came open in the span of three years, Uh, Tulsa first, then the Xavier job, and then the UCA job. And I didn't get get either one of them, any of the three. So you're, you're kind of at this point of, you know, maybe I'm just going to be the guy that helps the guy. And I was okay with that. I really was. I, I loved working for Kevin McGuff, and I loved the University of Washington. I wasn't trying to leave, but um, I just felt like being a head coach was kind of what I always had dreamed of doing. So um, got really frustrated. Uh, I, didn't, I never did turn bitter, though. I'll, I'll say I, I stopped very short of ever getting bitter. Luckily, I had a good job, and I had a great guy telling me, hey, just – you know, you've actually got a better job here, which he was exactly right. Uh, being the assistant, you know, the assistant head coach at Washington was some was better than some of the smaller jobs as far as the the big picture went. Um, and then the timing was just right when he left to take the Ohio State job that uh, Washington was there for me. And as it turned out, I wouldn't have been ready for those jobs. I look back on it, and I you know I say all the time about unanswered prayers is sometimes the best best thing that can happen to us. So. The key, like like you asked, the key was never turning bitter. It's kind of like that saying, uh, don't be bitter, but be better, right? Get yeah, better that's exactly you know. right. You know, at Xavier, you guys had amazing success. 
Yep. And then you go to University of Washington, and you've turned that around and had great success. Tell me what you do in developing a winning culture. Keep it really simple. Um, we don't have you know twelve covenants or fifteen points of pride or twenty seven of this. It's it's very simple. It's usually about one thing at a time. And what's important now? You know that acronym for win. What's important now? And I learned that from Kevin and Xavier. Um, it was a really small school. We were in a really small conference, but we were really good at a very few number of things. Uh, we were very simplistic. You, it was not hard to scout us, but we were very good at what we did. And the things we cared about, we really cared about. Let's just make a list and then keep that list short and keep it tight and make sure everybody in your program understands what those things are and then confront any sign of negativity or any sign of discord against your culture immediately, uh, and then you're gonna, it's going to work out. And I think that's why it happened so fast at Washington was because Kevin was so good at doing that. Uh, we were able to confront the problems really, really quickly, and those kids turned it right around real fast, and uh, it didn't take very long to turn a, you know, a situation in that was winning eight or nine games to now four straight 20-win seasons. Coach, I know you're big into systems and measuring the results yep. and measuring. T- mm-hmm. Tell me about that, how, your systems and how you measure it. Well, again, it's pretty simplistic. I, we, the only number I care about is our uh, lineup efficiencies. We chart how each lineup does, plus or minus. There's, there's no complicated formula. You either score and or you get scored on. And when you're in the game, what's the score when you're in the game? And what I found over the years is as long, as long as they keep determining the winner and the loser by that final score, that's really the only stat that matters. So we chart that religiously in practice and in games, and our players know that, they, that you want your lineup to be good. So every time you're on the court, you're trying to not turn it over. You're trying to get a quality shot. Whether it's from you or somebody else, you want your lineup to score. And then on defense, you want to get a stop. Because that, that means you're in a lineup that's efficient. And I, I think that's the key. When, you're, when you are a numbers guy, you better know what the numbers mean. If, if you're asking me for playing time, you better be in one of the top seven or eight of our lineup efficiencies. Uh, if not, there's a reason. Sometimes I don't always know those reasons right off the bat. Uh, one of them turned out a couple of years ago, the reason these two, two kids didn't play very well together, I found out, was because they dated each other's boyfriend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. No, there was nothing to do other than, why well, we didn't play better. We didn't communicate on defense because I didn't open my mouth because she dated my boyfriend, and we're over it now, though. Okay, well, they're better. So, you know, we, we overcoach this game so much. We overanalyze. We overanalytic it. Well, John Lewis, a mutual friend of ours, he mentioned to me that you even, like, you know, chart the drills and, and winners and losers. And he, oh, mentioned, yeah. he mentioned a drill that you do. It's called Green Light Shooting Certified. Yeah. Explain uh-huh. that to me. Each week we choose five drills. Um, I've got a, a catalog of 25 drills that I've been doing for 25 years now. So we take five of those drills, we put a time and a score value to each one of those drills. So every Monday, if you're on my team, you have that week – to attain those scores and those five drills outside of practice. Come in on your own. You can come in in the morning whenever you want to do it, lunchtime. You have to be in the presence of a coach or a teammate. But if you will achieve those five scores, then that next week, I won't say anything to you about shot selection. You can shoot it whenever you want to. What I found is it, it, it does a couple of things for us. The kids that decide to come in and do it, then they, that means they're in there a bunch. And the kids that don't, then they don't argue about how many shots they're getting. And then the best thing I think it does is it helps the rest of our team understand why those players get set plays called for them or why we run an action for them out of the dribble drive when we need a basket. 
it solves that issue for me because I haven't had a conversation about shot selection in, in the three years that we've been doing it. Hey, Coach, you know, you mentioned that uh, the different tasks and duties you have as a you know, high school coach and a teacher. And tell me this, what would you recommend coaches how to live more of a balanced life and handle the stress? Well, give up trying for it to be balanced. Uh, it's not going to be balanced. Basketball is a rhythm sport. It's a rhythm season. Your life is going to – got to find a rhythm in life. I, I, for years and years, tried to find balance, and I just don't think you can be any good at it. And I think it requires too much time. I think it puts a lot of stress on uh, your, your, your personal family, your personal relationships. And if you're constantly stri- trying to find an exact 50-50 balance in those two things, it just doesn't work out. And you've got to get in the rhythm. You've got to find – People that are willing to be around you in your personal life that understand that. You have to find a team that uh, understands the rhythm of it. Give up trying to find a balance. If you're doing that, I, I, think, you're, I think you're chasing after something that's not there. So uh, that, was, that, that worked for me. You know, Maybe some people do have to have it, but I, I just know that for me to do the job that, that I'm asking of myself to do, I just don't think it can be a split right down the middle, personal time to, to work time. And by the way, Jimmy, uh, Arkansas guy, probably appreciate this. Breaking news, Coach, a Kansas guy grew a 1,034-pound pumpkin. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's surprised one bit. I'm uh, not surprised one bit. Those things can get huge if you have a big enough field. I don't know what the Ar- Arkansas record is down there. I didn't look that up, but I know everything's big in Arkansas, toothpicks and all that stuff. Well, the toothpick was actually invented in Kentucky because otherwise it would have been called the teeth pick. Uh, <laughs> but not Arkansas. That was not in Arkansas. Coach Mike Neighbors, our, our guest, we're getting ready to let you go, Coach. We'll take you okay. deep. We're going to go with the trifecta here, Jim's three big questions of life. Okay. Here, here we go. Great. All right, Coach, if you're on an island and you have one movie to watch for the oh. remainder of your life, what is it? This is easy. It's A Few Good Men. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Easiest question I've been asking a long time. Few good men, hands down, I'd watch it, uh, Desert Island. Jim, you wanted the truth? You You can't can't handle handle the the truth. truth. There you go. If you had to recommend one book to change someone's life, what would it be? For this generation of coaches, you got to read Tim Elmore's book, The IY Generation. What does IY stand for, Coach? I being like iPhone, iPad, iTunes, iWatch. I got gotcha. you. It's, uh, it's no question been valuable for me in understanding this generational gap that we're going through right now, those Gen Xers and, and baby boomers with these, these IY kids. I think all coaches should really be studying um, these IY kids and, and how they think and how their minds work. And the biggest thing is, the biggest generational thing is these people don't need people like us for information anymore. I relied on my coaches. I relied on the adults in my life. I relied on my pawpaw neighbors. These kids don't need that. They can download a better version of us. They can watch TED Talks on, on, on their uh, YouTube over and over and over and get better information than some coaches can give them. So... We're not there to provide them with information anymore, but we are there to provide them with what to do with that information. Again, I'm not telling you to change your philosophies 100%, but you've got to come a little way toward these guys in this IY generation because it's the people you're coaching. Last question, okay. Coach. Best piece of advice anyone ever gave you in your life? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I like it. Was that pop-up? Of course. There you go. Coach, thank you so much for your time. You were terrific. All right, appreciate you guys. Thanks hey, for having me. Nothing but the best, Coach. Okay, okay. good luck. Thanks, buddy. All right.
Head coach, Jim Huber. Change your diapers. Wipe the dribble away from your bubbling lips. Rub Vaseline all over your hiney and tell you that it's special and different from everyone else. <laughs> he said hiney. <laughs> Break it back over here. Hiney. <laughs> On the Breakthrough Basketball Radio Network.